0: Welcome to Gencast, a sponsored podcast series brought to you by Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. I'm your host, Jeff Bukaliskis. Over the past 20 plus years, single-use systems have been steadily climbing toward the top of the tools utilized by biomanufacturers for the commercial scale production of critical therapeutic products. Yet, much like for several other areas of the biotech and pharma industries, COVID-19 created an inflection point for this technology, generating a significant demand that will shape the market for many years. Although with that considerable demand comes the need to focus on the key aspects driving growth and finding the appropriate solutions to challenges that invariably arise when technologies are being developed and utilized rapidly, a seemingly common thread throughout this podcast series. Now, this is the third and final episode of GenCast, where Dr. Jared Brophy, the Executive Vice President of Biofarm Production at Avantour, joins me. We sat down to discuss several essential facets of single-use systems and some ways to help manage risk and decrease the intricacies most often associated with single-use supply chains. This is an area of bioprocessing that has been of great interest to many of you in the Gen audience, so I know you'll definitely want to keep listening. Thanks everyone for joining us for this third edition of Gencast with Avantor and Dr. Jared Brophy. Um, we are going to be discussing some global single-use network support assurance of supply today, and kind of dive a little bit more deeper into the conversation that we started uh, two podcasts ago. So if you haven't seen any of those podcasts yet, please uh, do, or should say, listen to those podcasts yet, please do check those out. So, Jared, thanks for being with us again. Really appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Happy to be here.
0: So, Jared, the first question I have is that there's been some rapid growth in single-use systems in biopharma over the past several years. Um, What do you see as the major drivers?
1: There are quite a few, but if I were to pick two, it would be nimbleness and speed. Uh, Single-use facilities just enable that, and that's especially important for clinical trial volumes of drugs and, and also to mitigate those risks prior to approval. When you need significant amounts, but maybe, you know, you haven't got the time or necessarily the confidence to to double down on CapEx expenditure. But we also see significant advantages for single use with the emergence of new modalities. Think of things like viral vectors, gene therapies, um, and, and, you know, those are emerging platforms. So the ability to change up process development protocols are, are key and single use just gives that more flexibility. For multi-product lines, just think of CDMOs and CMOs where a new drug may need to be made on the same facility. You know, intuitively, you can understand how single-use enables and supports that kind of flexibility of facility usage in a way that stainless steel would not and would require much more cleaning and management of changeover. So that's another particular area that comes through. Um, that, that That's supported, obviously, by, you know, Reducing or eliminating that risk of cross-contamination—that—that uh, that would be the case if you're looking at reusable containers, tubings, fillings, connectors, fermentation equipment, etc. From a labor point of view, we have mapped—you know—genuine and true labor, uh, labor savings, shorter turnaround times, you're removing cleaning steps, subdividing bulk salts, buffers, other dry materials for use in the bioreactors and the downstream filtration systems. So that helps then with an ability for manufacturers to more cost-effectively design and build custom solutions, single-use and fluid handling for sampling, for production purposes, to match their unique requirements by modality and, and by drug product. And that in turn feeds into the next level, which is facility footprint. So even with large pump systems like we have with Masterflex, the space to build a single-use facility is considerably smaller. Um, or better yet, as I've said, the space you have can be repurposed more quickly. And that, that agility, Um, improves speed to market, which is key for customers we've worked with, improves return on capital, improves the efficiency of investment they've got. And that's why we've seen single-use in general and the single-use part of the Avantor business grow well, um, as it has in recent years. So, you know, these are the kind of operational side of things. But just, you know, from a point of view of efficiency, we also see improvements accruing in things like accuracy and confidence in results, uh, previously taking samples, required fully sterilizing all metal parts, glass bottles. If we can have closed single-use systems in addition to the cost and efficiency improvements, we see accuracy and risk reduction as well. And that plays out really importantly in areas like cell therapy, where opening up the workflow you know, exposes the potential material or the patient's cells to risk and single-use facilities enable that closing of a complete workflow in a way that non-single-use uh, facilities really don't support.
0: So, Jared, with all this growth and excitement in single-use, usually doesn't come without some limitation. So, what do you see as some of the risk factors and potentially negative impacts that have developed uh, with the growth of single-use systems? I think it's no
1: different than other spaces. And again, the whole world is, you know, very sensitized to supply chain disruptions. And that, that of course, was exacerbated by, by COVID. So with COVID, all supply chains were disrupted. Uh, as with other manufacturers, it was difficult for single-use manufacturers to get parts, filters like that. Part suppliers couldn't get fabricated components. Some medical-grade polymers were disrupted or in short supply, and costs, you know, definitely went up in the space. There was also, you know, uh, an issue of capacity. Um, I feel lucky like getting an in where we had done some capacity investments in the years prior to COVID, um, but for things like CDMO and CMO single-use space, um, it was felt that there was an issue with capacity that we needed to work through. We also saw, you know, growth of single-use has led to even biopharma manufacturers, so the, the medicines manufacturers. Um, reducing in some cases some um, production system design engineering staff. So it's made it, you know, the shortage of labor that we see globally and the shortage of qualified labor, as with any system, can make it difficult to stand up verified workflows, do the IQOQ that's required. So that, that caused some considerable issues uh, earlier on. We also saw, you know, uh, warehousing is particularly, even still in short supply. And that's driven by, you know, just regular, um, not alone, you know, B2B warehousing, but the personalized use of warehouses and distributors that we all see in our own own lives. So most production sites were not built with an attached warehouse for all the consumables that single-use processes require. So the need to obtain, inspect, sort, store those items is going to be critical to an effective utilization of single-use in the supply chain. Um, and, and those, you know, are increasingly being invested in a more, more holistic view of what's required, is is incrementally being understood, and, and some of those 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 elements are being put in place, and that that's leading to improvements. We're also seeing an improvement in process standardisation. Um, you know, nothing drives reality like a crisis. So, do you need that specific unit or piece or component? or are you happy to accommodate a more standard component so a little bit of that process development work occurred as well and that's that's led to to some improvements in the situation and that's again say, not not just you know the issue with single use it's across the board we were all you know uh, educated on just in time philosophies and inventory management and of course that philosophy became somewhat challenged during covid so um, you know, in some cases we saw in other industries like industries that used uh, silicon chips and equivalents and inability to continue production. So I think you know we're seeing manufacturers and inventory holders being more willing to incur cost and safety stocks and build on their business continuity management processes. and having instead of a just in time approach, more of a just in case approach, that will add some cost to the universe, but I think that risk reduction, Uh, those risk reduction strategies are going to be keenly appreciated and will ultimately play out for the benefit of everybody in the processes. Like I say, other industries had the same issue, but in the midst of the pandemic, you know, as consumable demand shot up, uh, first of all for testing, but then as supporting, you know, very quick pivoting to manufacturing, you know, new uh, vaccines with, with new modalities, there was Um, you know, the the, the hazards of that kind of disrupted supply chain and the potential of a disruption supply chain made itself felt many of the participants and stakeholders. And everybody moved quickly then to to, to, to augment any uh, requirements or capabilities in supply chain and reduce risk uh, accordingly. So we're seeing now, you know, an absolute phenomenon of companies stockpiling consumables, um, holding much more safety stock than they previously wanted. Also, being very aware regionally. So again, you know, we had heard previously the world is flat, um, that you know perhaps the whole globe can be serviced from a particular efficient or even low cost area. With COVID, I think you know we see our customers requiring of us to hold inventory in the regions and the geographies where they are busy to reduce the risk of their of their processes. So that's another uh, pivot we see in the space.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, undoubtedly, COVID has really changed the landscape quite uh, dramatically. Some of these challenges seem like, you know, they could be uh, navigated, but others, you know, seem pretty tough. So what do you see as biopharmaceutical companies? um, How how do you think that they should do things to better manage the single-use supply chains?
1: I think the the considerations that many companies are going through on business continuity and risk management are, are realistically no different here. Understanding, you know, n minus one, n minus two of supply chains. Understanding where critical raw materials may come from. Understanding are they likely to be in constrained geographies or or with constrained uh, components. So um, and and within that framework, developing stronger business partnerships with suppliers all the way up up and down, and that's incredibly important for biopharma, where again, you know. No no biopharma producer wants to be shut down. You know, the the, the output of this space in terms of life-saving medicines, in terms of gene therapies, in terms of cell therapies, in terms of vaccine production to, you know, address global pandemics is particularly important. And we see companies having multiple research and production sites across the globe and being more globally aware of of these kind of things. So having a single or a global single-use supply chain strategy is important, having a full holistic view of how these things will be addressed. And that strategy should address the risk factors that the organization may face um, and and develop concrete steps for mitigating those risk factors within the organization, Um, but also understanding how to work with external partners like Avantor, for example. One of the critical advantages is is we are an open architecture supplier, so we're not constrained to a particular format. We're not... constrained to a particular IP, we will work purposefully and mindfully with our customers to map their particular workflow, to understand their requirement for sterile fluid transfer. And then we can supply drawings very quickly to sketch out how assemblies, fluid transfers, sampling, uh, closed loop systems can be developed. We can turn those into CAD-CAM quite quickly. So the speed of turnaround whereby customers can access uh, validation fluid supply paths I think is is an important concept in this regard the speed of of, of the, the speed of reaction from single-use providers
0: so you know, this is interesting that you mentioned this this strategy seems like an interesting approach maybe you could explain a little bit more like what you see as the key components of this kind of strategy
1: in a perfect world like everything else you start as as early as possible So, you know, if we're talking about, say, the development of a biosimilar or perhaps a new monoclonal or perhaps a new entirely new modality like viral vectors in gene therapy, in a perfect world, you know, you are mapping the drug development cycle. So as uh, producers want to access materials for phase one study and more materials for phase two and phase three. Uh, you're understanding what the critical quality elements are. And we've talked or I've implied a lot about the kind of physical geography of this, of the, the, the sterile fluid path. But what's as important are the critical quality attributes? You know, do we understand what solvents are being used? Are they polar or are they organic? And the reason I bring that up is that increasingly with, say, new modalities like mRNA production for vaccine, we are talking exactly that, the requirement for the production of lipid nanoparticles requires a significant change in polarity, requires the use of organic solvents. And in this space, uh, a sensitivity to extractables and leachables. So a complete characterization of the wettable surface of the single-use fluid path is an absolute requirement. And those extractables and leachables profiles across different solvents and fluids need to be fully characterized and used. And obviously the more interaction there is between the provider as early as possible, the better. But in addition, you know, there's a particular feature called spallation. So the potential for single-use tubings to generate particles, that's gonna be to an extent determined by the process. So the sensitivity of a process or a medicine to spallation needs to be incredibly well understood. So that's the technical part of, you know, the kind of components and the strategy that's being considered. But then, you know, the diversity, the supply chain, the SNOP aspects also need to be considered. Where is the likely manufacturing site going to be? Is there a situation where we might anticipate fermentation and downstream activities to happen in a particular geography, and perhaps the fill, finish, and formulation to happen in another, which is, you know, incredibly common within the industry. And understanding then how the single-use technology providers can can satisfy those requirements. So when when looking at a supplier, you know those are the considerations. You know, but in addition, we see, you know, are our suppliers able to address and fully satisfy all the regulatory and quality compliance requirements? And as I've implied, that includes by geography. And then it's appropriate that a customer should be um, considering. You know, the ability to test the strength and sophistication of their OPEX capabilities uh, through, through auditing, through interactions, through collaboration, meeting. And single-use providers will be prepared and will be happy to, to entertain those questions.
0: Great, thanks for that, Jared. I, I, now I'd like to I'd like to touch on something you mentioned uh, right at the beginning of this question, which is about regulatory. And This is an area that, for the Gen audience, that is pretty huge. Uh, they were always asking about, uh, you know, more more regulatory stuff. Can we talk about it more and so forth? So, uh, this is something that's actually going to be very interesting to them. Um, could you maybe talk about what the key factors uh, to assess with regard to regulatory and quality compliance might be?
1: Yeah, Jeff, as we think about this, we see four main categories uh, to review and to engage when evaluating a single-use provider's compliance initiatives. So, so first is that provider's production environment, you know, where the single-use equipment and materials are manufactured, what controls are in place to monitor and track environmental conditions, including the documentation of the uh, regular and the annual clean room certification, as well as the documented monitoring of clean room, real-time temperature, humidity, and the differential pressure monitoring, all of which are required for an efficient and successful you know, clean room operation. And I think there should also be a validated process for showing a rotational cleaning regime, um, air surface viable and non-viable particulate testing carried out on a scheduled basis. So it's appropriate and you know, expected <clears throat> that that level of documentation should be available. Product sterility validation is is key, and that follows a well-defined, recognized reference standard. And we already see, even in Europe, some of these continue to change and continue to develop. So a company's ability through regulatory intelligence to be able to track these is important as well. You know, familiarity with regulations such as ANSI, AMI, ISO, you know, eleven one thirty seven should be investigated. We should have documented evidence that these levels of validation are performed, you know, on on a routine basis. Along with these quality factors, you know, we see an important capability to evaluate the quality risk management program. So, again, companies should have quality statements, quality policies, quality updates, you know, depending on the quality standard to which they're operating, carrying out, you know, executive level reviews within the time frame that's required um, and that's an important part of what makes, you know, a sophisticated global quality operator in this space. In in our in Avantor, I tell my team, you know, and, and our customers, and they know this, that what we're selling more than anything else is quality. So we're not necessarily selling, you know, processed chemicals or single-use assemblies. What we're selling is quality because the customers needs to be 100% convinced and sure that our products will do exactly what they say and what they expect of them, within the specifications of the submissions that our customers make. And they need to be convinced and you know be absolutely assured that we've taken all the necessary steps to get them to the market quickly, so that, and safely, while clearing all the the regulatory hurdles, so that the drug product or drug substance, you know, is efficacious and safe from from the manufacturing point of view.
0: So the Quality Risk Management Program, or QRM, is is a pretty interesting idea. Um, Why is evaluating a QRM so important, and what should manufacturers really be assessing?
1: It's key to have an overarching QRM and to have, you know, absolute management investment of time and emotion in that most quality decisions are not binary. Um... A framework of understanding how CAPAs and SCARs, compliance risks and mitigations are executed is key to a successful QRM. And, you know, good QRMs will be based on standards like ISO standard agendas, standard topics will be addressed at the regular meeting. And at the end of these scheduled meetings, you know, the executive and the management of a particular supplier will say we're satisfied that our operations observe the requirements of that QRM. And what that means is that, you know, as changes occur, as regulatory changes occur, as new initiatives come in place, as perhaps changes in the frequency of kappas and scars occur, there is that framework framework to assess that. So a programme should also have a risk register because all risks are not the same to both to identify and to review where the greatest risk may occur, and also an appreciation operationally of the quality metrics and monitoring. So that'll track important indicators, give you both lagging and leading indicators, and also indicate where those uh, activities could be improved. Things like on-time delivery, turnaround time for engineering drawing, turnaround time for quality documentation, tracking of response time to customers, for example, tracking of overall complaint numbers, and tracking of manufacturing defects. So, you know, each QRM may have unique uh, features, but each QRM will probably have the main elements of the framework that I that I outlined. So, in addition, though, a, a single-use supplier's QRM should also include quality management for their suppliers. So understanding the reach back and to understand where that risk might occur. And that should include risk-based audits of of raw material supply chain. There have been famous and well-rehearsed stories in single-use fraternity of where an N minus one, N minus two, N minus three was changed. In good faith and without an expectation, it would cause a downstream effect But sailor systems are very sensitive. They're highly characterized. And even a good faith change down, uh, you know, upstream may cause unintended consequences downstream. And a good QRM could, you know, catch this kind of thing in advance. So that routine audit of high risk suppliers, established quality agreements, performance reports from suppliers, performance metrics, management of change are a key part of a good QRM.
0: Well, thanks for that Jared. And I mean obviously talking about these regulatory uh and quality compliance steps are really important, but you also mentioned in you know the second part of your pillar that uh assessing a supplier's operational excellence or opex uh capabilities is crucial um so maybe you could explain a little bit more what uh Opex is and why should a buy manufacturer uh or what should a buy manufacturer assess sure
1: so we, we think, you know, this is incredibly important, assessing a supplier's supply chain, OPEX capabilities, aligning those capabilities with the manufacturer's own quality practice and making sure that, you know, they're, they're consistent and nothing is missed, especially as, as increasingly biopharma manufacturers design facilities entirely with single use and expand globally. And like I say, that may well be the case for some of the new and emerging modalities around gene and cell therapies. So we believe that supply chain OPEX should be built around collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment program. So again, that implies very transparent, partnership-based conversations between between the principals. It should have established process for understanding a biomanufacturer's requirements, such as product ordering, dating attributes, documentation, order frequency, even things like you know ERPs, uh, other logistics factors where sampling may occur, where digital interfaces may you know um, smooth some of the data transfer and and, and file format between uh, between the principals. It should be it should be coupled then with transferring the customer's documented requirements into internal systems, so that these requirements are operationalized so far as possible between the two parties. Similar vocabulary, similar file format, similar expectations with regard to software systems. Opex capabilities in a perfect world also then keep both by manufacturers and suppliers more fully connected through you know, regular planning meetings, other methods for engaging, so that upcoming changes in say requirements, delivery times, new products, new quality considerations, new new regulatory Uh, requirements that may have come through from regulatory intelligence, any kind of other developments, even in terms of volume or or scheduling, can be planned for and addressed on on a routine and ongoing basis.
0: Thanks, Jerry. I mean, these are some really, really, you know, obviously critical issues to assess and manage. So for my last question, the really the million dollar question, um, you know, as a single use manufacturer and supplier on a global scale, how does Avantor approach these issues?
1: We, we are very aware of the, the importance of our input into our customers manufacturing operations. You know, as has been said many times, the, the product is the process in this space. So our customers should have complete confidence that our input into their processes is only going to strengthen it. So we recognize that predictable, dependable delivery of single-use products is, is critical for, for, for the success of those biomanufacturers. We particularly then have focused on workflows and developing our products to add efficiency and reliability So we leverage our global supply chain, and again, we are a global organization with a strong history of distribution so that our products can reach our customers, and that allows their therapies to reach the market and the patients who who need those treatments regionally and faster. We are investing heavily in our own QRM and our OPEX processes, including our our site expansions and, and advancing our capabilities. So we are ensuring consistent manufacturing processes at our global manufacturing sites. Their eyes are certified and they conform to CGMP best practices. We continue to expand our global footprint. So that allows us to design solutions that meet the exact needs of processes, ensures that the materials and products are available and consistent to consistent quality standards globally. That's very, very important for for, for, for local and for our global customers. And they let us then pivot to meet our customer needs no matter where their production sites are located and, you know, no matter what pharmacopoeias or local requirements that they have to adhere to. So we have, in addition, then, a a very comprehensive supplier management program which vets and qualifies our first and second sources. I I, I talked about the sensitivity of the community to changes upstream in the supply chain. We're very aware of that. And we work hard to ensure then a reliable single-use single, single uh, use supply chain globally.
0: Well, Jerry, as always, it's a real pleasure to speak with you about these topics, these topics that are so important to so many uh, in the Gen audience. Uh, thanks again so much for sharing your expertise with us. And hopefully we'll see you again at another GenCast in the near future. That goes for you, the audience, as well.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thanks for listening to GenCast. For Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News, I'm Jeff Baryskis.